This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. Today's headlines, a Pacific storm continues to bring California trouble, flooding, rock and mudslides, and power outages are just some of the problems. We take a look at the damage done so far. Newly elected House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is making good on a midterm promise. Representatives Schiff, Swalwell and Omar are losing their committee assignments. Reactions are pouring in after the White House admits President Biden kept classified documents at a private office. Biden says he's surprised and doesn't know what's in them. Find out what they might include. A five-month trip to Rikers Island is something most people would quickly turn down. But for former Trump Organization CFO Alan Weisselberg, it was either that or a possible 15 years for tax fraud. And a father is worried his ex-wife is trying to transition their son into a girl since he was two years old. He told us more about the situation. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Leith. And this just in, flights across the U.S. are being delayed at multiple locations. This after a computer outage at the FAA. Right. At around 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, there were 760 delays within, into or out of the United States. That's according to the flight tracking website FlightAware. The agency said on Twitter it's working on restoring its notice-to-air mission system. Next, we're going on to California. A Pacific storm continues to batter parts of the state. It has knocked out power, shut down roads, and flooded some areas. Officials say there are at least 17 confirmed storm-related deaths. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the severe weather causing trouble for the Golden State. Millions of California residents are under flood warnings, and more than 200,000 homes and businesses are without power because of heavy rains, hail, and landslides. Thousands have been ordered to evacuate their homes. California Governor Gavin Newsom is warning people to stay vigilant. We've had less people die in the last two years of major wildfires in California that have died since New Year's Day related to this weather in California. These conditions are serious and they're deadly. While the storms are providing some relief for the state's drought conditions, they're also taking lives. Officials say at least 17 people have died from the storms that began late last month. Deaths include a pickup truck driver and a motorcyclist killed Tuesday morning when a tree fell on them on Highway 99. A five-year-old boy is still missing after being swept away. He and his mother were stranded in a truck in rising waters. A seven-hour search on Monday turned up only one of his shoes. Uh, it's at moments like this we just pray uh, for a miracle. The Ventura County Fire Department used helicopters to rescue residents stranded by flood water. 42 people so far. With the muddy water that we have in these type of flood conditions, it's very difficult to determine how deep it is or if the road has eroded underneath the water. The Ventura River reached its highest level on record at more than 25 feet on Monday. It's dropped to minor flood stage levels since then. Typically, it takes six inches of water to knock someone off of their feet and about 12 inches of water to float a normal car. The storm that began Monday dumped over a foot of rain at higher elevations in the central and southern parts of the state and brought more than five feet of snow to Sierra Nevada ski resorts. Rockfalls and mudslides have shut down roads and gushing runoff has turned sections of freeways into waterways. Swollen rivers swamped homes and triggered evacuation orders. 
The fact that we're not out of the woods. We expect these storms to continue at least through the 18th of this month. Uh, we expect a minimum three more of these atmospheric rivers in different shapes and forms depending on different parts of the state. More rain is forecast for Wednesday in Northern California and a longer storm system is predicted to last from Friday until Tuesday next week. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is following through on his pledge to remove three Democrats from their House committees. Representative Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell and Ilhan Omar are losing their assignments. McCarthy confirmed the move Monday. Schiff and Swalwell will be kicked off the House Intelligence Committee. And Representative Omar will be removed from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. McCarthy has the power to keep the two congressmen off the intel panel as House Speaker. A majority vote in the House will be needed to remove Omar. McCarthy promised a year ago to remove them if Republicans took control of the House. He repeated that vow during the midterms. Omar has been accused of anti-Semitism multiple times. She's received criticism from both Democrats and Republicans for past comments about Israel and Jews. Both former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer have rebuked her for her statements. McCarthy tweeted that he removed her for, quote, repeated anti-Semitic Semitic and anti-American remarks. McCarthy said of Swalwell, he can't get a security clearance in the public sector. Why would we ever give him a security clearance in the secrets to America? I will not allow him to be on intel. Swalwell allegedly had an affair with a suspected spy from the Chinese Communist Party. And as for Adam Schiff, McCarthy says he's lied to the American public time and again and will not be allowed on the Intel Committee either. Schiff was the lead manager in the first impeachment trial of former President Trump, a member of the January 6th Committee, and has been accused of fabricating information about the Russian collusion narrative and then leaking it during the Trump administration, something that Schiff denies. And the House voted yesterday to create a new subcommittee. It will investigate the perceived weaponization of the government by federal law enforcement agencies under the Biden administration. The panel is part of the House Judiciary Committee. Representative Jim Jordan is expected to chair it. And the North American Leaders Summit wrapped up yesterday. President Biden, Lopez Obrador and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau commented on the border crisis, supply chain issues and other matters at a post-summit conference in Mexico City. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more. All of us in the United States are immigrants. President Biden spoke at length about immigration and its challenges. This has been the greatest migration in human history around the world, as well as in this hemisphere. The commander-in-chief addressed the question of whether he has been too soft on border security. We're trying to make it easier for people to get here, opening up the capacity to get here, but not have them go through that god-awful process. He says more aid is needed to prevent people from having to leave their homes in the first place, pointing out that it takes extraordinary circumstances for people to sell their belongings and take such harrowing journeys. Representing Mexico, President López Obrador expressed his gratitude to President Biden. You're the first president of the United States that for a long time hasn't built a meter of wall. We thank you for that. The Mexican president says he urged Biden to press Congress for immigration reform. He wants the status of millions of illegal Mexican immigrants in the U.S. to be normalized. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada commented on the continental supply chain. He said it was at the center of their conversations throughout the summit. 
Trudeau says cooperation between the countries is going well, but supply chains around the world are under increasing stress and more can be done. Significant economic actors around the world are becoming less reliable as partners uh, and less desirable as partners. The meeting of the three leaders was the first such summit since late 2021. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And reactions are pouring in after the White House admitted that classified documents were found at Biden's private office. Biden says he was surprised and he doesn't know what's in the documents. NTD's Iris Tao has the story, plus some revelations on what the papers may potentially include. I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. But I don't know what's in the documents. Biden's under fire for classified documents discovered at Penn Biden Center, which is in the building right behind me. The documents were from Biden's time as vice president. They were found by Biden's personal lawyers just six days before the midterm elections. But the White House only admitted to it yesterday. The White House tells CNN that Biden was unaware what those documents were. But the outlet is reporting today that they included 10 classified documents about Ukraine, Iran and the UK. And some were labeled as top secret. Where's the FBI raid? Republicans and former President Trump are saying there's a double standard since the FBI raided Trump's Mar-a-Lago home over classified documents. Biden took classified documents with him and held them for years and criticized President, former President Trump. I wonder why the press isn't asking the same questions of him as vice president taking classified documents that they were asking President Trump. And just four months ago, Biden said this about documents found at Trump's home. How that could possibly happen, how one, anyone could be that irresponsible. Democrats, meanwhile, are calling such criticism. Republican hypocrisy at its finest. What President Biden did was disclose this to the archives. Meanwhile, an ethics watchdog group tells NTD the think tank involved here could have funding ties with China. We uh, have information that the University of Pest has received millions of dollars of Chinese money. We believe some of that went to the Biden Center. Who knows whether there's some documentation of these classified documents that do involve China. So it's really suspicious here, and this calls for a full investigation with subpoena power by the committees. The Department of Justice is reviewing the found documents, and Republicans are now adding this matter to their growing list of investigations. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Illinois has introduced sweeping new gun control laws. Governor J.B. Pritzker signed the new legislation yesterday. The new law bans the sale, manufacture, and distribution of semi-automatic weapons and so-called high-capacity magazines, including switches that modify legal handguns into automatic weapons. The ban goes into effect immediately. The legislation also grants new powers to the state's courts through firearm restraining orders, aiming at preventing dangerous individuals from possessing a gun. The governor says the law comes as a response to the Highland Park shooting in the state, as well as the shootings in Sandy Hook and Uvalde. This is one of truly the strongest and best assault weapons bans in the entire country. And so the result, I think, shows that there was a willingness to compromise, but also a determination to get something major done. The new law means that long guns will be limited to 10 rounds per magazine. Handguns will be limited to 15 rounds. 
It also requires existing owners of semi-automatic weapons to register their firearms with the authorities. Current owners of such firearms can legally possess weapons on their own private property as well as at gun ranges and other locations. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was sworn in as the 47th governor of Arkansas yesterday. Sanders took the oath of office in the State House of Representatives. The Republican becomes the first woman to hold the office. Sanders previously worked as press secretary for former President Trump. She secured last year's election with a strong focus on national issues. Huckabee Sanders follows in the footsteps of her father, Mike Huckabee. He served as governor for more than a decade. I'm not interested in making history because of who I am. I want all of us to make history for what we achieve together over the next eight years. And as one of her first acts as governor, Sanders will disallow the use of the term Latinx in government documents and name titles through an executive order. Sanders justified the ban in her executive order, which states that ethnically insensitive and pejorative language has no place in official government documents or government employee titles. She added that the government has a responsibility to respect its citizens and use ethnically appropriate language, particularly when referring to ethnic minorities. According to a Pew Research poll, only around 3% of American Latinos and Hispanics use the term when referring to themselves. The use of the term has been heavily pushed in recent years by progressive groups and some politicians as a gender-neutral alternative to the Spanish words Latina and Latino. Up next, a father who's worried his ex-wife has been trying to transition their son into a girl since he was two years old. We bring you what he told us about the situation after the break. Welcome back. Next, a Texas father has been in a years-long legal fight with his ex-wife about his son's gender transition. He says it's his ex-wife that influenced his son, and at just 10 years old, his son James is too young to decide himself whether he wants to go through a transitional process. But now his ex-wife moved with James to California, and Jeff Younger is worried about his son's future. I spoke to him. Since he was two years old, my ex-wife has been trying to transition him to a girl. Um, she enrolled him in a gender clinic at the age of five and spoke with the pedi his pediatrician about chemically castrating him at age eight or nine. So I'm trying to save my son from, from sexual mutilation and sterilization. So that's interesting. That's an interesting point you just mentioned. Since two-year-old, so what did your ex-wife give you any indication as of what made her think that, you know, James identifies as a girl at that point in life? Well, I don't believe this is the real reason, but she testified in court in 2019 that the reason she began to think he was a girl is that he asked for a girl's toy at, uh, for, in a McDonald's Happy Meal. And a few days later, he asked, he saw a silver purse with a multicolored unicorn on it at Target and asked her to buy him that purse. And on that basis, she thought he might be a transgender girl. And this fact I'm about to tell you is probably the most important fact for your audience to know about this case. My son only presents as a girl with his mother. He's never presented as a girl with me. So this child doesn't have, um, this child actually is a gender dysphoric. Um, you might say he's gender expansive or something like that. 
but he doesn't meet the criteria of gender dysphoria because he doesn't present consistently as a girl. And he's never presented as a girl with me. In fact, he's hyper-masculine with me. So just to let you know, he's a, he's a well-known and very skilled boxer in his age group uh, where I live. He's a, he's a top jiu-jitsu competitor. Um, he loves to hunt uh, rabbits with me. Um, like, he, he exhibits none of these female characteristics that he does with his mother. Now, you would have thought that since the outcomes for transgender people are so bad, the suicide rates are so high, you would have thought that the courts would have sided with the parent where the child has a normal gender expression because the outcomes are better. But in fact, what the courts have done is they've consistently sided with my ex-wife and tried to transition my son. Now tell me more about that, um, the situation that let you here, because you lost custody in 2021, is that right? Tell me more about the whole situation there. Well, so what happened, we had a big trial in 2019. It was a jury trial in Texas. And I, I won that trial. I got 50-50 custody and no child support. And in a transparently corrupt proceeding, the Dallas County judges got rid of got rid of my judge who gave me that ruling. And they put me into another court, the 301st District Court, with Judge Mary Brown. I call her Judge Bloody Mary Brown. Bloody Mary Brown uh, systematically, using temporary orders, systematically stripped me of all my parental rights over a period of about a year and never implemented the, the verdict from the jury trial which is actually a felony in Texas. She's supposed to respect that verdict and she didn't do that. Um, and now my children have no father. They've been moved out of state. I, I don't even know where they live. I can't send them letters or birthday cards. Um, I'm not notified of any medical procedures. Um, uh, I literally have no parental rights whatsoever except the right to pay child support. Right, now that was, um, that was my next question about if you have any idea of how far he is in the transition process, so to speak. Do you still, what was the last thing you, you, you knew? She's under an injunction to not perform any chemical castration procedures or surgical procedures on James. But she moved him to California, which is a transgender sanctuary state. If she lives there for six months, the California courts will have to take jurisdiction of James. And the California courts will absolutely order his transition. And one of the more shocking parts about this is I took this all the way to the Texas Supreme Court because the, my child's in danger in California from this. And the Texas Supreme Court, in a transparently absurd ruling, I mean, unbelievably absurd, misreads the, the California statute. I mean, we've, I've had lawyers contact me from all over the country asking me how, why is it that Texas justices are too stupid to read a California statute? Um, and they also concluded that she's no more likely to transition James in California than she would be in Texas, which is absolutely absurd. <laughs> now, I actually want to um, explore a little bit more about what you said a little earlier about your son presenting in different ways in front of you and your, your ex-wife. Do you have some more examples about that and what makes you think, you know, that he is basically presenting himself in a way that he maybe even feel, or why is he presenting that way differently well, depending we, on? We really don't have to speculate. He's told the court appointed counselors that he dresses like a girl with his mom because mom, his mom won't love him if he's not a girl. And, and uh, you know, one of the reasons that I, I lost all contact with my children 
It was because my son made outcries to the court-appointed counselor. Her name is Dr. Susan Fletcher. She's out of Frisco, Texas. And my son told her that four times that he did not want to be a girl, did not want to wear dresses to school anymore. He was getting embarrassed. And, and she threw him out of the office for doing that, uh, initiated a CPS investigation against me for forcing him to say that, and never once reported to the courts that he asked to be a boy. So at every level, the courts, the psychologists, um, the school transitioned James behind my back for a year. I would take him to school in boys' clothes, and they would give him a dress and make him use the girls' restroom. Every institution in the state of Texas, all the way up to the Supreme Court, has pushed my son to be transgendered and to be sexually mutilated. And uh, I fought literally every institution in this state and lost. Wow. Well, um... That's an incredible story, unbelievable, and I'm so glad you shared it here today. Thank you so much, Jeff Younger. Thank you. Next, a romantic reunion after 75 years. A World War II veteran reunited with his first love with the help of a nonprofit organization. We have the story after the break. Welcome back. Forever Young Veterans is an organization that helps both veterans and the community realize the impact veteran sacrifice has had on the world. The organization takes veterans on trips of honor to the nation's capital and also returns them to their place of service. Here's the story. A romantic reunion after 75 years. KT Robbins is a 101-year-old World War II veteran. He's often wondered what happened to the French woman he fell in love with during World War II. I got to be real good friends. <laughs> and I got to know the family. <laughs> and so, the way I met Jenny and Janae. <laughs> and she was my first love. She was really my first love. During the war, Robbins had to leave France where he met Janine and her family. He hoped to return one day, but never had a chance to. Janine said she waited on me for five years. Much to his surprise, after seven decades, he was able to reunite with the help of forever young veterans. The nonprofit organization returns veterans to their place of service and honors them by fulfilling their wishes. And Robbins went back to France to honor the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasion. That's so great to see her though, I'll tell you, man. Diane started Forever Young Veterans in 2006 with a simple wish to bring joy into veterans' lives. Her father served in World War II, and she recognized even as a child that he was suffering. Many of our World War II veterans have told me that they were told not to go home and burden their families with what they went through in the war. Diane wanted to help veterans so they don't have to suffer in silence. The charity was founded on the knowledge that veterans suffer in silence. When the veterans travel back to their place of service, they are met with gratitude. The trips of honor can be powerful for the veterans. We saw healing in ways that they never expected. And when we're traveling around, we can hear them saying, our dear liberators, our dear liberators. And this changes their lives because they're not expecting this kind of gratitude. The veterans had a life-changing response. They realized their sacrifice made a difference. And that realization not only makes a difference in their lives, but also in the lives of their families. And a lot of the children and the family members will say, 
dad is so different since coming back from this trip. He's more peaceful, he's happier, he's more outgoing, and actually we can have a better relationship with him now. Her organization has written a book titled Forever Young Veterans, detailing and honoring the stories of 22 veterans. It's a reminder of what they've done for the world. Diane says people cannot forget the sacrifices of those who have fought for freedom. Yeah, I don't, I, nobody should really suffer in silence. And it's so sweet that they are offering some friendship there. And what a sweet love story, really. Yeah, and it's really great what she's doing. You know, it's sometimes it's hard to see all the things that veterans go through on the surface. So, I agree, I agree. Yeah. And not being able to tell anybody or, yeah. Anyway. And all our veterans out there, thank you so much for your service. Yes, and that's all for today. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.